Yeah, what's going on, everybody? Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Week 15 Review Show presented by No House Advantage. Excited to be talking a little NFL review here with everybody. Hit that like button as we get going. Subscribe button, notification bell as well. But definitely that like button. Make Adam and I feel cool because, uh, you know, sometimes NFL DFS is hard. Uh, you know, there's there's times where things go very, very well. There's times when things don't go as well. Uh, it's been really fun starting off these shows with at, at Ship My Money DFS over there on the Twitter sphere, Adam Share, because he's had a couple hundred K wins. Adam, how did last week go for you? Or yesterday? Uh, didn't go too well. My back to being, you know, a normal week where stuff that I did didn't work. Uh, but it, it was just I didn't think that I like made bad plays or anything. It's just, you know, stuff didn't work out. Happens. Uh, Cardinals suck. Not a big Kyler Murray fan at the moment. Car- Not only that, but like legitimately the two things that uh, I was the most confident about one, if you were in a survivor pool, why wouldn't you play the Cardinals? You probably didn't have a chance to really fire them up uh, very much throughout the year, even though they've been on this great run, just because uh, just kind of schedule wise, there's always been a bigger favorite or other things. And number two, Amon Ross St. Brown was like the guy to run everything back with. And everything that I had with Kyler Murray just was shot because of him. That made no sense. Yeah, exactly. Like I, Christian Kirk getting there was nice. You know, at least mm-hmm. it, it helped with some min caches. But uh, yeah, um, had had tons of Kyler. And like, I, I would do it again. He was 15% owned in the middle. I had 33%. Like, give me that spot every time. But uh, didn't didn't work out. I'm excited to talk some Millie with everybody because, you know, that's kind of where we've transferred to is the slant is going down a little bit in terms of uh, not prestige or anything. I mean, 15K is still a nice number, but I definitely want to focus a little bit more here on the Millie as we get in towards the playoffs, as we round out this season. Uh, We've got three more regular season weeks because you have that extra week 18 that has been added to everything, 17 total games for teams. So that should be a lot of fun, but yeah, last week, uh, or yesterday, I keep saying last week, but it, it is technically that. Um, you basically had some some very concentrated chalk at the running back position. You had uh, very concentrated chalk around one wide receiver, or two wide receivers, should I say. And then we had a lot of tournament spots where you know things got really, really fascinating. Uh, let's just kind of dig right into it from the get-go here. Uh, just kind of working on my sheet, making sure that I'm doing everything. I don't know why I feel like I'm missing something i'm not let's start talking chalky plays here and what happened james robinson he was you know james robinson-esque he got that touchdown uh, i saw alex alex baker at the at the DraftKings final was basically saying everybody started freaking out and cheering for a 50 percent touchdown that's not going to be the reason that you win or lose a slate <laughs> uh we'll go into the individual ownerships later but obviously what could you possibly say he was a good play yeah for sure this was a spot like I, I wasn't – I was underweight on most of the popular players on this slate. James Robinson wasn't one of them. It was just a spot where the floor was really high. I mean, as high as it can be for an NFL running back. Uh, obviously, it's still functionally zero. But uh, it, it was still – you know, it was a high floor. It was a cheap price tag. It was a good matchup. You had Urban Meyer gone, which made it likely that Robinson was going to be used a little bit more like an actual running back that, you know, should be on the field uh, pretty much every snap. Um the opportunities were there, you know, like the way the game played out was fine. So yeah, it was just, it, it was a mispricing. Uh, there were plenty of other running backs to get to, but nobody that like looked really great. And then I thought just overall, it was easy enough to build lineups that you had some contrarian plays elsewhere uh, that I wasn't really worried about just being over the field on Robinson. Yeah. Brandon Wagner saying the exact same thing I did. The dude that won the Millie won like five different tournaments with that lineup. 
$220 and shipped. I, I think it was like 1.25 is what I saw the screenshot on, on Twitter. Just a ridiculous haul. Uh, again, if you can, rem- if you know the day that you're going to win with like the nuts, just play in everything, <laughs> play that lineup in everything. I think that's like a, a good way to do it. If you can pinpoint that day, uh, yay. Cause I think it was like $220 of entries. It was just absurd. It was absurd. Yeah. 63% uh, in single entries. James Robinson was a pretty neutral piece. He was cheap. Um, he didn't end up in the winner's lineups. Uh, he made two of them, uh, but James Robinson at 5,400, he was definitely a piece that if you landed there, he did not burn you as did Devonte Adams. Considering if you played Devonte Adams, you probably ended up with some Aaron Rodgers in some lineups and that ended up working out. Well, you hopefully ended up on some Huntley because that ended up being the nuts on the other side. But I had a guy that, you know, somebody that I've talked with that I feel like is pretty sharp. And he's like, yeah, I didn't get there because of Devonte Adams. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. Would you agree with that? Wait, what? He thought that Devonte Adams was one of the reasons that he lost money yesterday. Oh, um, I mean, individually. Yeah, probably. Well, no, cause I mean, he was 35% owned. So like, right. He was popular and, and like he did score. It's not like he did nothing. He, he got like 17 DraftKings points, but um, yeah, he certainly didn't help. There were a lot of better plays you could make, um, but it was also just kind of a weird slate where a lot of the pay up guys didn't really do anything. So I, I would say he kind of just came out neutral. Like you could. If you anything, could still it was w- just like the roster spot got taken away. Like right. it wasn't, you couldn't be cooks or Davis or something else, but in the grand scheme of it, it wasn't like there was uh, any other, I mean, Debo Samuel was pretty neutral as well. Um, you know, you were looking at MVS on the other side, on his own team. I thought it was Lazard. I, I felt pretty confident that getting to some Lazard was nice leverage and it ends up being MVS week, but um, yeah, like Stefan Diggs didn't really do anything. So it's not, it's not like any of those receivers really did great. So I, I don't think that, like Adams wasn't doing you any favors, certainly, but I, I don't think there was a situation where like you couldn't win. I mean, the guy that, that won had him, I believe. Yep, um, in both. Yeah. So, you know, you, you still obviously could win with Adams. He, he definitely wasn't helping you win though. Okay. That's true. Okay. That's probably the right way. So we're both right is what you're saying. Yeah. I think he kind of was just like a non-factor. Yeah. He was, he was not the reason that you won or lost in the context of it. I mean, really just dependent on like everything else in your lineup. He was like James Robinson. Yeah. If you played same. a bunch of James Robinson, it, like if, if you tell me you played a hundred percent James Robinson yesterday, I would have no idea if you won or lost money. Okay. That's fair. Uh, James Robinson, Devonte Adams, your two most popular plays here. And then we get into some tournament situations because Miami, they were facing the jets seemed like a pretty good spot to invest your money. Uh, Devonte Parker. I faded because it was tournaments because I liked some chalk elsewhere. Devonte Adams, everything else. I was a little bit lower. Looks like you were too. So, I mean, it, it, it was kind of a nice spot to be a little bit under. He scored that touchdown and I, I chucked my phone across our room very, very gently. And then Miles Gaskin, perhaps the most single, like the, it, you want to talk about somebody who lost you money yesterday. Miles Gaskin lost you money. Talk to me about the Miami situation from yesterday. Yeah, for sure. So Parker, I think was, but both of these guys, you know, going into the game before we knew Miles Gaskin was the backup, uh, both of them looked really good. But, you know, Parker in particular, he was a really, really good play. But this was just an example, I think, of something that we've seen in pretty much every sport, but all season long, where the best options are just getting like a little bit more ownership than they probably should, especially at a position like wide receiver, where there's still a ton of volatility. Uh, you know, 
Parker certainly is, he's good. He was in a really good spot with Jalen Waddle out. He's likely to get a bunch of targets, all of that. But there's still a bunch of other wide receivers that have, you know, a similar range of outcomes, even if they project a little bit lower. And it just becomes a little bit easier to get first place in a tournament if you have one of those guys and Devontae Parker happens to have a bad game, as opposed to having a bunch of Devontae Parker needing him to have a good game and then saying, okay, cool. Now I'm still competing with 35% of the field. So um, he was someone where I think you use those types of plays. Like I still had 20%. It's not like I just completely didn't play him, mm-hmm. but he fits really nicely into lineups where you either have a contrarian stack or you have, you know, some lower owned guys. Um, like for example, I would guess, I, I have no idea what lineups I had Parker in, but I would guess that I had him in some lineups where like maybe I stacked Kyler with Zach Ertz, who was like 4% owned. Um, like why not use Devonte Parker in some of those lineups? Because if Ertz goes off, I kind of just want like the best pieces around him, but I'm not, going with a lot of like Kyler plus Kirk plus Kittle plus Devontae Parker. Cause then it's just kind of like, okay, um, we're running out of spots to be different. So he, he's like the perfect example of someone where we talk about it a lot. You know, it's, it's about your overall lineup construction, not just someone's individual ownership. I don't think you want to look at Parker at 34% and say, Oh, I'm not playing him. He's too popular or, or, you know, whatever, but there's still lineups he's going to fit into, but it just worked out that, I, it wasn't as many lineups as, as the field got him into. Same goes for Gaskin. Um, if you assumed he was the starting running back yesterday, he looked like a good option. It was a good matchup. He also was pulling a ton of ownership. Uh, I preferred getting to James Robinson. I preferred getting to some other running backs at lower ownership. And then Mike Chisicki there too. Ended up more popular than George Kittle, which I found fascinating on a, I mean, salary obviously mattered. It always matters. But George Kittle was up to 7,500 there and. We had seen the massive explosion spots for him the last two weeks. We still had Gaskin and Parker getting quite a bit of ownership. I mean, 22.7% for him, 23.6% for Gaskin, 34% for Parker. I think it just really speaks to what their prices were relative to their matchup. Uh, It really comes down to 4,300, 5,600, and 5K. It's just confusing because there were so many lineups I went through in the Millie this morning that just seemed to have two of the three and it just feels like such a such a thin spot because, you know, if you're if you're looking at 20 percent plus on all of those guys, would you agree that it's something that you're really drawing to the same outs as everybody else? Yeah, it's it makes it pretty tough. Um, you know, again, they were some of the best point per dollar projected plays, but there were still plenty of other options you could get to. Uh, I know. So one thing that I, that just is interesting to me and I know you and I have talked about it on shows in the past where I seem to kind of almost always on these like Jasicki type tight ends go with more, you know, contrarian options. He was 22.7% owned. I actually had 22.7% of Zach Ertz at essentially, you know, at a similar price point. So it was, again, just a situation where, you know, like I played some Jasicki. There were lineups where I thought he fit well, but just not as much as the field because I thought that was a spot where even though he looked like the quote unquote best option in that price range, there was still a similar range of outcomes for a lot of other guys. And you just, you know, it goes back to trying, you're not trying to be right the most often you're trying to make the most money when you're right. And that's like a perfect example of it. If I, if, if I get some sort of bonus for like the correct number or the number of times I'm correct in a lineup, like I'm just playing a ton of Mike Jasicki, but uh, that's not really how it works with the payout structure. So uh, I just, you know, there were, there were other options that looked pretty appealing as well. Well, we had some expensive wide receivers along with the Devonte Adams, specifically Devo Samuel. He ended up probably being the guy that I was the most surprised by his ownership. And maybe it's just because I've never played this dude. I actually had a little bit, but like I was never going to get close to 20% when you have Adams up there and 
you know, you're talking PPR and I think it's something like one catch. I know, I know you've been running routes, but of course, Debo Samuel got another rushing touchdown because that's how it works. And of course he's averaging like eight yards a carry or something ridiculous. It's, it's kind of absurd what he's doing here this season and the way that he's utilized in this offense. He's just very, very good at actual football and very frustrating for me from a DFS perspective. Uh, looks like Debo wasn't somebody that you were super high on. Looked pretty flat across everybody here at Osmo, and he wasn't in any of the winning lineups that I looked at this morning. But um, Debo Samuel definitely would have been your direct pivot off of Devontae Adams. What was your thought process on shorting him? So my thought process was that essentially he's an $8,200 pass catching running back that I have to play at wide receiver, which sucks. <laughs> um, I, I agree that there's an argument when, whenever you get sort of like a change in role and you get, you know, this two to three week sample size where it's like Debo Samuel's not getting targets. I think it's, it's dangerous to completely buy into that and say that like, Oh, he's just never going to get targets again because logically it makes sense for them to find a way where he can kind of be your goal line running back, your red zone running back, and then also still catch a bunch of passes. But what really made the difference for me was the field's general based on projected ownership. The field basically was just saying like, yeah, cool. This is a wide receiver who also gets goal line carries. And there was no like any sort of adjustment for this is kind of turning into a running back. Um, so like if he were, you know, if, if Debo were like 8% owned or something, I would be like, okay, there's still some, some volatility here, some variance. Like maybe this is the week he gets 10 targets and he gets a rushing touchdown, in which case he's fantastic. But with him coming in at like 20, you know, projected, I think, I think he was projected around 20%. He came in around 20%. It was kind of just like, okay, where's the, where's the advantage that you're getting by rostering in here? If it goes like you, like you're hoping it goes, the field's already there. And if it mm -hmm. goes like it has the last three weeks, he's an objectively terrible play. It's almost like one of those situations where I wish he was projected for lower ownership just by accident so that I would get to some. And then after right. the fact, see 20% be like, damn it, I played Debo and he continues to put up to 18, 20 every week, you know, with upside of 30 plus and I'd actually have him. But it just never seems to work out that way. And, you know, if he's going to be continually 20%, I'm going to continue to short him and that is life. And I will say, you know, the boss man, uh, this is probably the least amount of Debo Samuel I've seen in his lineups in a long <laughs> time. So uh, he was 1.1% under the field. So, uh, and he's, he's been an early adopter of the Debo Samuel experiment and he's uh, been profiting because of it. And I have not been, maybe that's why he's the number one player in the world or something. Let's continue on. Uh, Deontay Johnson. I'm always in love with against Tennessee. They're 20.4%. It definitely did not work out for me there at 98 Gabriel Davis was my favorite cheap wide receiver. That worked out very nicely. But Brandon Cooks just smashed this slate. 32.2. We'll talk about some of the best performers, but I'm just going down the, the next level of ownership here. And, you know, wide receiver, Deontay Johnson, that would have been very poor there. Gabriel Davis worked out really well. And Brandon Cooks, I mean, I, I really kind of view them, um, you know, Gabriel Davis in the most electric offense out of all of them. Deontay Johnson pass heavy and Brandon Cooks, the only option he's got there. There were cases to be made for everybody there. And it looks like, you know, there were guys that, uh, you know, Gabriel Davis, you were there at the field on and, and a number of other options here. I, the wide receiver position was so make or break in a lot of ways, but uh, how did you kind of view, I guess, the cheaper guys, Gabriel Davis, Brandon Cooks, AJ Green, even uh, considering I know you were really high on Kyler Murray in those pieces. How did you kind of like figure out where you were going to be going in the four or five K range? Yeah, I think it kind of just looks like I mostly stayed away from popular receivers yesterday, which I think makes sense because I thought that there was just a lot of guys that 
were the same more or less. Um, that was something Josh and I talked about on the strategy show at running back and at wide receiver. It was kind of just like, uh, yeah, you know, like I have my preferences, but it's not by outside of like James Robinson. There wasn't really anybody at either position that I preferred by an extent to where I was just like, I don't care what the ownership is. Uh, I was pretty willing to just kind of let the field have whatever they wanted. And I would find other pieces. Uh, Gabriel Davis, I got around the field, I think just because he was so cheap, there weren't quite as many alternatives in that price range, especially when you consider that Devontae Parker, Devontae Parker was getting a ton of ownership as well. Uh, so getting to Davis made some sense. Plus I played a decent amount of, of um, Josh Allen, I believe. So he made some sense, but like Brandon Cooks, I thought Cooks was a good play, uh, but it's still a $5,800 receiver, which you can find plenty of those guys. Uh, he's still playing on Houston, which comes with its own risks. So uh, he was a good play, but he was getting some ownership. I didn't end up getting there. Um, Deontay Johnson didn't get there. I thought he was, again, I thought he was a perfectly fine play, but just had plenty of other options that weren't projected for that level of ownership. And the last guy that, I mean, the, my, my Huntley and Andrew's call from Live Before Lock was completely decimated and ruined by the ridiculous amount of Miles Gaskin and Michael Carter that I ended up with. I mean, the running back position could not have just ruined me more uh, than what it did yesterday. And God, Michael Carter, I thought was a phenomenal play there. You did not. Um, 2.7%. And so I, I, congratulations, you win again. So there's that. But uh, Michael Carter, what was kind of your, your process there, considering there were some guys like, you know, Rinpack, I know 25.3%, a uh, 20.7% there for the Colts. Uh, what was your thinking there as far as shorting Michael Carter? It wasn't anything specific. He just didn't really show up in my lineups. But from like a macro standpoint, uh, not having a chalk Jets running back is going to be something I'm upset about. <laughs> I was just like, why did I freaking ask that question? Obviously, he plays for the Jets, and what a fish. But no Ty Johnson. I think, I think there's maybe a tendency. Maybe it's my NBA brain. Maybe it's just simply uh, wanting to overcorrect uh, correct to NFL news as it comes out later on there. And Ty Johnson wasn't something that I kind of was expecting there to happen. And so I kind of maybe overcorrected a little bit, What's really frustrating is that I think the jets played about as well as they possibly could. And Michael Carter wasn't even a part of anything that they did. Yeah. It was, uh, Tevin to, Coleman. You had, you had to account for the uh, Braxton Berrios touch, rushing touchdowns too. I hate and Zach football. Wilson. I hate football. I love football, but I, I mean, that's just so dumb. Uh, we've got Cowboys and bills defense. Uh, they were your defense du jours. Thank God we don't have to completely go nuts talking about them. I suppose the Cowboys did put up 16. It looks like they were basically in just about everybody's winning lineup. You had 19.3% of them. So look at you playing a chalky defense. Look at you go. Yeah. Uh, you fish. That happens, but you freaking well. fish. You yeah. want to know why you lost this week? You, you played a chalk. No, that's not the reason that anything happened, but I just, well, they, but they, they, they were like only 60% the ownership of the bills who I was on the field on. This is true. So again, let's uh, let's talk defense because that's everybody's favorite portion of this program here. We'll do an ad read. We'll continue on talking about some of the individual exposures here. But I mean, Bill's defense, I could not believe ended up getting up to 23%. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been there too. Yet another fantastic play by me to ruin everything good about Baltimore. And then the Cowboys, 16 fantasy points for them there. They were kind of your your defense that uh, I believe they were the highest scoring defense there on the entire slate. Yes, they definitely were uh, Cowboys Steelers there at 16. Uh, so either one of them were kind of the, the paths to go, but um, was there anything that you thought about from defense coming off of last week where uh, defense still matters? No. And I mean, Josh and I had 
we, we talked about it a bit on the, the strategy show yesterday because somebody made somebody in chat made the comment like defense matters every week, but like every show just completely punts the segment and doesn't want to talk about it. And it, you're right. Like defense does matter in the sense that it's very helpful to have a defense that scores a lot of fantasy points. The issue is that it's close to impossible to know or to, to predict and talk about, you know, which defense is going to do the best. And so that's why, you know, it's, there's just so much volatility at the position. And like, even from a medium projection standpoint, maybe a couple defenses project, you know, two points higher than like the rest of the pack, but to really be like a tournament winning defense to the point that it does matter, you're still kind of have to score like double your medium projection or, you know, give or take. And that's just not something that you're ever going to point to and say, yeah, like this is, um, th this is what's going to happen. Like yesterday, for example, defense didn't really matter. The, the highest scoring defense is the Cowboys and the Steelers scored 16 points. If you had them that helped you, but you can overcome that. You know, if you played like the Niners who got nine points, you're still only talking a seven point difference. You can easily overcome that with the right, you know, skill players. So um, it's just a position where I think one approach is to pay on, on a lot of slates. Yesterday there was some value, so it wasn't quite the case. But a lot of times my approach is just to like pay as little as I can, hope that I get a pick six or, a, you know, kickoff return touchdown. Um, go, you know, going with lower on defenses where you can. Uh, for example, I had a lot of the Steelers. I had a, I had 5% of the Bengals, 4% uh, of the Titans. They were both 1% owned. Um, and that, But then also, you know, it does come back to, to your lineups too. If you just have a contrarian lineup, then there's no real reason to be getting away from the quote unquote best defenses either. So like, I think that's where like the Cowboys came in and also, you know, relative to, uh, to the bills, like we had Dallas projected for 8% ownership. We had the bills projected for 22. Um, so like if we had, the Cowboys came in at 15%, I, I think if we had projected the Cowboys for 15%, I probably have less than 19%. I just want everybody to look at that board. Look at what the best players in the world are doing. Ship my money, Osmo to Colts, Ren Pack. Those are four of the best players you will ever find, period, in DFS. And none of them have a defense over 20%. Just throwing it out there, everybody that wants to have these strong defensive takes, play 60% of a defense when they're chalky, you know, just to get over the field or making some kind of a justification for just not spreading it out. Look how spread out those defensive exposures are. Would you agree with that? Where it's just like, what are we doing here? Yeah, typically. Like there's, I think there's been a couple of slates this year where I jam in like some defense for one reason or another. But um, yeah, normally I just end up pretty spread out because um, again, the scoring, the, the part of the reason there's so much volatility at the position is the scoring doesn't align with like actual performance that well. Um, if you're a defense that just like has a good game and holds the opponent to six points, you're going to score fine, but you're mm -hmm. not going to put up a score that really matters unless you happen to also score a touchdown or two. Um, what really makes a defense matter is when they score and that's just kind of random. So um, it, it's more about giving yourself like one, one way that you can use defenses to kind of make your lineup better is using them just as a contrarian piece. Mm -hmm. You know what? It, it's really difficult to find 2% owned wide receivers that actually have a chance at having a really big game. Every defense to some extent has a chance at having a big game. So uh, that's one way you can use them to make your lineups better. Um, but it's really about just giving yourself shots at a bunch of different defenses typically. Um, and then also, you know, using them to just make your lineup more contrarian where you can. Love that. Yeah. There's one 24.7% Dolphins defense for the boss, man. Otherwise 
you know, 18.7 down there for what did he have? The Broncos defense. You just had some of these other defenses. It was just a scatter shot by everybody. So just wanted to point that out. Seems very fascinating. Let's talk the Millie Maker winner here quick. Then we'll cover some stuff and we will continue on our merry way covering some individual exposures. But Tyler Huntley, that was the story of the day. Tyler Huntley, Mark Andrews, you either had that and you won tournaments or you did not That's kind of how it works when somebody goes for 35.9 and his tight end in the stack goes for 38.6. But Tyler Huntley, Deonta Foreman, Jeff Wilson, Brandon Cooks, Christian Kirk, Amon Ross St. Brown, Mark Andrews, Devontae Adams, and Texans defense, which speaks to your point that there were other defenses you could land on. They were 2,800, allowed him to kind of get this entire thing underneath that cap. 50K exactly. What do you think about this lineup? I thought it was a really, really good lineup. Um, as far as like the overall slate goes, I kind of, I, I don't, I don't mean it in the sense that like, if you won money yesterday, like you're not good at DFS. It was a slate where I thought that most of the good, I wasn't surprised at all today when I looked and most of the really good players that I look at had shitty days. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, so, so I kind of expected it to be like, the lineups that won were like these like, you know, kind of crappy lineups. I think this is a really, really good lineup. Um, not necessarily in the sense that it was guys that I was on, obviously, or I would have won money yesterday, but um, you know, you have the Huntley to Andrews pairing really strong, really high upside. Um, obviously worked out phenomenally run it back with Devontae Adams. Cool. You get positive correlation with the highest projected receiver on the slate. You have the Kirk St. Brown pairing. So you have, positive correlation in that game on two mid-range receivers that I thought were both very, very good plays. Jeff Wilson um, was someone I got to a lot of. I thought that it was another, you know, it was a cheap option that you weren't going to have a ton of confidence in, but he's not going to be that popular when you have ownership going to Gaskin, when you have ownership going to David Johnson, and there's still plenty of, of work for him. Same to be said for, for Foreman. Um, so you kind of, you know, you saw him go in the same price range as the more popular running backs but just go with different guys that still had a path to success. And then you got a really high upside one off in Brandon Cooks. Uh, it, I thought was an excellent lineup. So first and 53,316th, those are your two entries. I'm just throwing it out there. You should put a lineup or two in the Millie if you're out here playing, if you're enjoying it, if you want to have some guy. Obviously, it's not going to be the biggest bankroll builder, but I will say Alex has kind of uh, talked to me a little bit uh, about changing my tune about the Millie Maker being some waste of money, it's actually got some of the softest lineups that you're going to find in a lot of ways. So yeah, it's a lot to be max entering something out like that. But two lineups, 125K, I believe, or 1.25K, or wait, I'm saying that way wrong. 1.25 million, of course, for his day for 220 of entries. That could be anybody else too. Uh, you got to stay in the game. So uh, congratulations to WPHSU99. Well done. That is a massive, massive hit. Uh, another way that you can kind of get yourself uh, acquainted to making some more money here during the football season. It's also college football season. Bowl season, all caps, one word. Use that promo code for 50% off the college projections for all the bowl season. Uh, that's Matt Kajewski. And if you guys haven't had a chance to check out his shows, I don't know what you're doing because, you know, I get a chance to do uh, a, month, uh, a Sunday show with him live before lock. We get to do a Wednesday show with Lafayette. We have an absolute blast talking NFL and the guy's just as sharp as they come. He's somebody that's going to be making projections for these unbelievable bowl games. He knows Southwest Texas biblical starting quarterback. Like I don't freaking know. I mean, the guy knows every single team you could possibly imagine. He's got it. He's been covering this the entire year. He's been covering this four years. 
And now you can get that projection system for bowl season. Uh, use that promo code 25 bucks off. That will be valid through Wednesday, December 22nd. So stop guessing, start winning, and check out this today. Uh, thank you to Matt Kajewski for doing such great work with that. It's so nice to be able to plug and play some projections and feel like you're way, way ahead of the curve. So do the same. Um, let's go to some of the higher scores here on the day. We were covering uh, Mark Andrews and Tyler Huntley. I guess we're at that portion of the program, aren't we? Uh, what did you think about those plays? And holy shit, Mark Andrews. Yeah, um, I didn't really have – I didn't really think about it at all. But um, I didn't get there. I uh, wish I had. Uh, it, 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 you know, like, <laughs> Hashtag know. analysis. Yeah, like I don't know. I don't I – don't, <laughs> line of review shows are tough for me because like I don't think about any of this shit. But uh, I know. But here, here's the thing. But that's a great point. I mean, for you, you wake up your process, you, you start Sunday morning and you start putting together where are plays that I like relative to the way that other people like those plays, right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of just, I just put a bunch of numbers together and then what I get is what I get. So like, it's talk, like talking about the plays in hindsight, it's like trying not to be too, too much, you know, like, hindsight analysis where it's like, Oh, Huntley was great because he scored 35 points. Um, he didn't show up in my lineup. So obviously I didn't think he was that good of a play, but I, I think that when you think about, when you think about the upside, that's where like, you're getting a 2% owned quarterback that has tons of rushing upside. That is a question mark in terms of what he's going to do in the passing game. But whenever something's a question mark, that means that there's, upside there there's risk but there's upside um and then you know you have somebody like andrews tight end yesterday wasn't a great position you had a lot of ownership going to kittle which i thought was great you had a lot going to jasicki which was fine you, but but it wasn't you know there's no darren waller there was no kelsey there's it wasn't a great position so using andrews certainly gave you upside there as well um yeah i think that it was a i think it was a good stack i i can't say that i felt like super strongly about it because i obviously didn't but um given the, the ownership there and just given sort of what we know about Huntley's skill set, it makes sense to, to be there. Like if you were someone looking at this and saying, I really want to play Huntley at this ownership at this price, I think you, I don't think you're doing anything wrong or anything. I think you, you good job. Like um, even though I didn't have him, <laughs> I'm not looking at it like, Oh, these fish with Huntley got there. Like, cool. Good play. I liked him yesterday and I, I, I I'm still just surprised. I sucked. I just, it's Miles Gaskin is a disaster. I, I played a backup running back. Uh, I should wear a dunce cap here for the rest of the show. Brandon, uh, Brandon Cook's 32.2. We talked about him a little bit there where, you know, he's the main option. But Duke Johnson, just even looking at his name makes me want to vomit. So we're going to keep going. Gabriel Davis, of course, smash Christian Kirk, uh, a guy that you really liked in all of your stacks. And then your second performing quarterback on the slate. Cam Newton, and in a game that he played abysmally, he still gets QB2 on the entire slate. So just throwing it out there, there's a lot of ways for a quarterback to get there. And if they have rushing upside, uh, there you go. Cam Newton, second highest scoring running back, or quarterback here on the slate. Talk to me about that guy, because uh, for me, it's more of a lesson in, you know, if you, he, he's terrible, but just because you're terrible at real life football doesn't mean you can't get there in fantasy. Yeah, for sure. And being used around the goal line always adds value. Uh, the thing with Cam was like, even if you had him, your lineup probably sucked because DJ Moore did nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Or you played him naked and you're a fish. 
kind of the same with Rodgers. Like Rodgers put up a pretty good score, but I assume like almost every Aaron Rodgers team had Devontae Adams, who was sort of just like neutral. Um, you know, so I, I think like Rodgers teams probably did better than Newton teams, but both of them, the stacks kind of let you down. Can you believe Aaron Rodgers got up to has as as owned as what he was 14%. I never saw that coming. That was really surprising to me. Uh, Josh and I had actually mentioned that we thought he was a good contrarian play because it was kind of impossible to think that like Kyler Murray and Josh Allen wouldn't pull a lot more ownership. And then Josh Allen ends up being like half the, or like 60% of the ownership of, of Aaron Rodgers, and Kyler Murray ends up being like the same. Josh Allen was my highest owned quarterback. I would do it again. I just, like, I, I don't know what to say. I like, I, I think that at, at the projected ownership levels, Rogers made sense. I still didn't get there. Um, but if you mm-hmm. give me, like, if, if I had, if it had been a slate where like I did end up playing a bunch of Rogers at the expense of like Murray and Allen, I would be so pissed off when I saw where the actual <laughs> ownership came in. Well, yeah, there's life. Uh, you know, uh, Allen, the Colts, Rimpack, you, everybody double the field or better on that one. Awesome. Again, how sharp is this dude? 6% of him, a uh, little bit under the field. So, yeah, Josh Allen, 21.8. It was serviceable. I mean, obviously, you either had Huntley or you didn't to win. And then min cashing, it was, you know, the Cam Newton, Aaron Rodgers, and uh, Josh Allen. You played any of those guys, even Jared Goff at point, what, 3% or what, 0.4% yet for Goff or whatever. Like, the, all those other quarterbacks ended up tightly, but – um you know, this was just one of those weeks where there was an outlier quarterback performance outside of that regular distribution we see for them, and you just needed him. So we continue on. Uh, Dalton Schultz, another tight end that went completely nuts, you know, thought that that was a good spot for him going up against the Giants. Uh, in the context of it, of course, Andrews for 18 points better. Um, it looks really nice. Could have gone double tight end, I suppose, here again this week and, and been in a really good place. Uh, Debo Samuel, we covered Josh Reynolds. Let's talk Deonta Foreman. He was in the winning lineup there going up against Pittsburgh. He did have a 21 and a half total going up against Pittsburgh here in this spot. I didn't really know what to think about it because, you know, I, I think Foreman got there a little bit. McNichols got a goal line carry where he ended up getting his head drove into the ground and was out for the rest of the game. I just thought it was a three-man committee where you couldn't really rely on it. I never got there to that play whatsoever. Deontay Foreman, though, in the winning lineup, 18.5. He was better than Gaskin. He was better than a lot of uh, Michael Carter for damn sure. What do you think about Deontay Foreman on this slate? Yeah, pretty much the same thing you said. Like he clearly had a role. He had the potential to do well at 5,200, but a lot of uncertainty around exactly where the, the touches, you know, how they would be distributed over the course of a game. Um, and then he was projected to get ownership. You know, we had, we had him at 15.9%. Uh, for example, Jeff Wilson, we had projected to be slightly lower owned. Uh, so it, it just became a situation where, where you were trying to get a little bit of, you know, a little bit less ownership. Like if you're trying to not have Robinson or at least not have like Robinson plus Gaskin or or something like that uh, to me, like Jeff Wilson looked better. And so I played a ton of Jeff Wilson, didn't really play Foreman, but it still kind of served that role where you were at least getting like a discount away from Robinson. If you weren't playing Robinson. Yeah. And so I I guess that would be the the kind of consideration for it, but at 10.8%, you know, I saw he was garnering quite a bit of attention and, was never going to get there. And of course he went out and just smashed beat, beat Robinson actually by 0.7. Not that that was a major make or break single situation. I will say the one play that I was the most proud of yesterday, Devin Singletary um, at 16.6. I thought he was going to completely smash the slate after he got that touchdown. Um, it, it just was the guy that I wanted to pivot as much as I could to again. I don't know if people were paying attention last week, but he played over 80% of the snaps 
in a in a, obviously a negative game script. He's been the quote unquote pass catcher, but Matt Breida was basically a utility guy for one week and otherwise has not really played a ton of snaps. They keep having Zach Moss inactive. It seems as though Singletary is becoming a play that we should be looking at and under 5%. I got to a ton of him. It didn't end up working out because they were almost all in Josh Allen bulls, uh, bills on slots. But what do you think about Devin Singletary on this week? He, he was probably the one guy coming into the slate that I was the most scared about not having a lot of um, for all the reasons you said. I thought that, like, I knew I didn't have a lot. Uh, I didn't think he was going to be popular. I, I thought he was a very, very good play, but it also just, I, I didn't, I wasn't getting there. Uh, when, when Moss was, a, when Moss was inactive, like his projection, you know, obviously increased a bit, but it still just wasn't enough that I, I wanted to redo all of my lineups. So mm-hmm. um, I was really scared going into the slate. Then he scored and I was just like, yeah, this is going to be Damian Harris. Uh, <laughs> The, the Damian Harris game times too, where I look at it and I was like, oh, you should really bump this guy up, but I'm not going to. And then he breaks the slate open. So I was pretty glad that he, he, he had, you know, a mediocre game. Um, mm-hmm. He, you know, and a lot of it came back. Like for me, it was, I knew I had a lot of Jeff Wilson. Uh, I, I knew I had a lot of James Robinson and it was just like, even if I make Singletary look a little bit better, if I rerun all my lineups, I still don't think I'm going to get that much Singletary because I'm not going to get him ahead of those guys anyway. So, um, but I was definitely, he, he was like the one guy coming into the slate that I, felt like was going to just really, really make me mad. I just wanted him to beat James Robinson so I could feel sharp. I just wanted to, I just wanted him to beat him straight up, but obviously having 83% of of James Robinson, like you did, or 84% uh, worked out even better than having any Devin Singletary. So yay for you. Uh, If it had been two points in the other direction, I would have been gloating today and feeling pretty good about it, but whatever, such is life. That is NFL DFS and yeah, he just didn't really do anything in that second half. He just kept running into the line of scrimmage. So that was unenjoyable. Ezekiel Elliott, I I just, it's so hard to be able to know what to do with him in some of these spots because on paper, 27 total going up against the Giants, but he's obviously not completely right. He ended up getting that same kind of situation where he had an early touchdown like Singletary, but the difference is he's you know $2,300 more or whatever. And uh, also you had Pollard who came in and, and was the more efficient runner there in a lot of spots, but, um, Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, are we just going to continue to try to get him going just because of the offense that he's in? Yeah. The thing, so the thing with Zeke is that it's kind of like the opposite of what we were talking about with Debo Samuel, I think where mm-hmm. Debo Samuel, we hope he's one thing, but so far we haven't really seen that, but the field is playing it as if what we hope happens is going to happen. So there's not like a huge edge to embracing what, may or may not be a bunch of volatility there with Zeke. It's kind of the opposite. He's pretty clearly limited They're, You know, they, they basically split carries last week with Corey Clement. Then you get Pollard back, you know, Pollard's going to play a role, but at the same time, it's a high powered offense. And like, everybody's just really down on Zeke, uh, at, you know, and, and for a reason, but there's still that potential for there to just be a week where either he's feeling better and he gets more work slash plays better, or the Cowboys just happen to, you know, have a bunch of drives that, Amari Cooper gets tackled at the five yard line or lamb gets tackled at the five yard line. And suddenly you have several touchdowns for Zeke. Like those are still in the range of outcomes. So when he's going to be like 7% owned, there's still appeal to just be there and hope that you just happen to catch the good Zeke week. Um, this, you know, I, I was around the field. I think most people were that I'm looking at were, were around the field on him. Um, so yeah, it was just like, I, I think the ownership was pretty much right. You know, like you said, it, it was, he didn't look great. You know, Pollard was back. You know, Pollard was going to be involved. Um, he started out looking pretty good, and I was 
annoyed because the week before I had taken a huge stand on him and he was barely used and he sucked. And then I thought you're going to get the big week last week, but he kind of died out. But um, yeah, with Zeke, it's just kind of, as long as the ownership's low, there's always some appeal to going there just because of the offense he's on. Well, speaking of taking stands, we're about to get there to my favorite portion of the program where we go through some of the individual exposures and you're going to see some fun stuff, I think, go into that. But before we get there, this is, of course, sponsored by No House Advantage here, this entire review show. We appreciate them, and you should appreciate the fact that they are 100% peer-to-peer, that they are giving you an opportunity to play over 500 different player plops every single week. But most importantly, $25 deposit bonus with the promo code Osmo. Simply put Osmo in at checkout, put it in $25, and you will get $25 of a deposit bonus back. Simple as that. That's money going into your pocket. That's how you build. That's how you sustain a bankroll. They have pretty darn good prize pools too. So 2K uh, to first there, but 5K total prize pool. You know, there's 250 entries or so. I mean, it's very winnable stuff and you can get the projections right now. We have the NHA projections and optimal lineup tool here at Osmo to help make it so much easier to play over there. No house advantage. There are a bunch of great guys that have put this together and, and have been sponsoring us for a long, long time here. We really enjoy working with them. And I know you'll like playing over on their site. If you like player props, if you don't necessarily even have props that are going to be something that you're able to do in your state, if it's not legalized betting, you'll still probably have the opportunity to play at no house advantage. So use those free projections, those lineup, uh, that optimal lineup page, and you will be able to make positive EV lineups guaranteed. So check out everything that they offer over at no house advantage, download the app, over at the App Store, Google Play, or head to knowhouseadvantage.com. I also will say their CSV has gotten so much easier to use. So if you're making a bunch of lineups, if you're going to be mass multi-entering anything, the ability to just be able to plug and play some of those optimal lineups is so much easier than it was before. So definitely check them out. Thank you so much to them for their sponsorship. They're what allows us to do the show for the other sites. So give them a follow. Check them out. $25 deposit bonus with promo code Osmo. Um, thank you again to No House Advantage. We really do love working with them. But uh, let's continue here on uh, the, the reviews that we have going here. And it is exposure time. And we're starting with the boss man who I think he switched bodies with Rinpak this week. Did you look at Osmo's exposures? Um, I see them now, but he, Alex uh, never needs an excuse to play some Tua. No. Well, 57.3% Tua in the Millie. 58.7% Jasicki, so almost uh, entirely stacked up with him. And Devontae Parker, 80%. James Robinson, 84.7%. I mean, it's a nine-game slate. It wasn't Cooper Cup out there. There were a lot of things that kind of changed coming into this slate, but holy mother of God, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen him take a stand like this in any of these review shows. I mean, James Robinson and Parker definitely worked out. The Jasicki t- uh, Tua ones... Not so much, but like props to the boss man for taking a really, really big stand. I think it made sense too. Like if you think about, because also if you kind of just look down the total ownership of the rest of his highest owned guys, what I kind of see is that, so for one, he took obviously a stand on Miami. Um, That's sort of the alternate approach that I think is good to like what I did where I was under the field on Parker and on Jusicki. Just playing a ton of the quarterback too and, and getting just a lot of, basically taking the best values at some of the skill positions, pairing them with the quarterback who like Tua was getting ownership, but nothing crazy. Um, And you can kind of offset some of the ownership that way. Um, Because like, for example, yeah, everybody played Devontae Parker, but if Devontae Parker really goes off, chances are Tua is also going off at a cheap price tag. And 
all of the teams that have Parker without Tua then are at a disadvantage to you. So that's, I think, also a good approach. Um, but then also what stands out to me, when you start looking at the ownership, the field ownership for like the rest of the guys that Alex was highest on, you get a lot of pretty low-owned guys mixed in there. So it suggests to me that he was able to take a really big stand on those guys and then, you know, sort of fill out his lineups with some lower owned guys. Um, also on this slate, there weren't a lot of good quarterback options. Like you had the guys at the top, Murray, Rogers, Allen, Tua, I think was pretty clearly like the best coming in. Value. Slate. Yeah. Yeah. Best value. Um, So it was a situation where like, it's not like the opportunity cost was that high at the position coming in. Uh, it, it gave you some lineups that projected really, really well while still because you used to, uh, you know, help to lower your ownership. So um, I, I do think that it's an approach I take from time to time too, where um, when like all the value, all the best values of different positions are from the same team, uh, just kind of jamming in that quarterback and hoping things work out. 40% DJ more at 2.8%, 11.8% Najee Harris, 28.7%. Anytime that you're on a, a pretty thin running back slate where, you know, James Robinson was clearly the best play, I think. Uh, nobody would disagree for that point per dollar, but then Najee Harris has an entire backfield. I think it made sense to be over on that. Christian Kirk talked about over on that. He was at the field on Gaskin with me. Thank God. Otherwise I would have felt like even worse about my life than what I already do. Dolphins defense. I mean, he was just on slotting Miami against the jets. The most noticeable thing for me, no bring back Michael Carter was in 10% of his lineups. That was his highest owned dude. Uh, Jameson Crowder, five point what five point three percent, but like legitimately over half of his lineups probably did not include any kind of a run back. Yeah, and no real issues with that. Um, like the Jets, obviously, they, they have enough talent. Like Carter's fine, Crowder's fine, um, but it, it's just a mess of a team where uh, you could just easily have a game where the Dolphins just beat them by four touchdowns. All right, and we go over to DeColt, 60.7% James Robinson, his highest done here on this late. Jeff Wilson, yay! I, I was glad to see Jeff Wilson, uh, his second highest done guy there. That that really made sense. And then Amon Ross St. Brown, um, we talked about him on the Live Before Lock show. I thought that he was by far my favorite run back uh, for that team. Uh, unfortunately, that other team, Arizona, decided not to remotely show up, so joy Mike Jasicki Deontay Johnson Devontae Adams Devontae Parker uh I will say it was nice to see you know for for him like if you look at the columns of green I feel like everybody that he was overweight to was a good play like I, I think that that's one of the things that I take away the most from these shows is you want to be overweight on plays that regardless of how they turn out were they in a great spot opportunity wise you know if, like Devontae Parker and and Devontae Adams, of course, that they were very, very popular, but even just being a little bit under the field on something like that, obviously neither of them got there. And that kind of gives you some more extra outs in your portfolio. So like legitimately, as far as his player exposures go, I think that this is my best or like the best set of lineups that we've assessed by him uh, in the entire time of doing this. Yeah. And one thing too, that I think should be evident when we do these shows is because you always get the, everyone knows like everybody knows you need to be contrarian to win or to give yourself, you know, a better chance at winning. But so many people take that to mean like playing just like really low owned guys that kind of, you know, that kind of suck. Normally when like, if you look at the highest owned guys for like any of us, very rarely is there just some like random dude that we're just jamming into lineups and hoping to get lucky. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's still good plays. It's still good players. It's still good plays. It's just that uh, they're, 
relatively lower owned compared to some alternatives in some spots. So, um, you know, like Jeff Wilson, 12%, Amon Ross St. Brown, 8%, two of his highest owned guys. Those are massive stands, but you can like, you can look at Jeff Wilson and say, well, I didn't like him as much as X, Y, Z. That is fine. You can't look and say, Oh, there was, it was, it's shocking that Jeff Wilson had a good game. You can't look at St. Brown and say, Oh, it's shocking. He had a good game. Like he was very clearly in a good role in a game where the lions were likely to be behind and passing. Um, didn't work out that way, but uh, it, they, they were still just clearly good plays. There's no, you know, like 2% on dart throws showing up in like 50% of his lineups. Agreed. I, I just think that this is the best set of lineups that we've seen out of him. So I wanted to point that out. Well done by him, even though I don't know if he profited in this tournament or not. That's not necessarily the point. The point is he, putting he together the best portfolio. What was that? He did not. None of us did. Oh, that seems not ideal. Your $50 but, uh, smashed everyone else that we're looking at. <laughs> we're in back 44% Devontae Parker, 36% Devontae Adams. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about lingering around those two most popular plays. Robinson, he was a little bit oh, 20% plus under, uh, as opposed to the three of you guys who just jammed James Robinson. And obviously that was a, a, a great play and somebody that uh, wasn't the make or break for a lot of guys, but uh, definitely for Rinpack being under the field didn't work out as well for him here. Uh, looking Debo Samuel, he was basically a little bit over the field there, but uh, he was right there in the same Tua camp where he was almost double the field. That was like his largest stand he really had amongst all these players. I will say it seems like this is one of the chalkier builds that we've seen out of um, that we've seen out of Ryan. The the really nice thing was double the field on Mark Andrews. I think that that helped out, but pretty flat as far as quarterbacks, which is, you know, to be expected from, from most people. But in terms of Rinpak covering his lineups, this is definitely the most spread out that I've seen his exposures the entire season. Yeah, switch bodies with Alex, like you said. It's exactly it. I mean, it's just like, I, I thought that I mislabeled it this morning and I did <laughs> not. Uh, and then to round it out here, ship my money, 84% James Robinson. Well done by you there. George Kittle, God, I, I, I'm with you where I was over the field and felt like that was like an absolute smash for him. And, you know, 15.3 wasn't, wasn't whatever, but in terms of winning, Mark Andrews, Dalton Schultz, lots of spots where uh, you could have found more raw fantasy points elsewhere. And that's kind of part of the thing of paying up for tight end is if you get a ceiling performance from somebody else and Kittle doesn't do it, you're probably in trouble in terms of winning. But Jeff Wilson, love that play. Kyler Murray, Jesus, how are you a real thing? And then... My favorite play that you had of the entire slate, because I was there with you, and boy, did it not work out for us, T. Higgins. He was definitely my biggest dud on this entire slate. I was glad that, to, to see that you were there with me. Uh, I, I think misery loves company, but 6.6%. This guy's a monster, and it just turned into Tyler Boyd, and that's kind of what happens with some of these teams where you know that the passing attack is going to have some, some volume, and Tyler Boyd was the guy this week. Yeah, um, and I think, like, again, you know, I kind of mentioned it before, you know, it's not like I'm looking at this saying, you know, like, oh, I, I think T Higgins is great or anything like that. But I, I, I mean, I do, but like, that's not why I'm, I'm playing it. What, what stands out to me here is if you remember when we went back and looked at the most popular players, I didn't have a lot of Brandon cooks at 5,800. Uh, he was 18% owned. My guess is that I just had, you know, Higgins was $700 more expensive. I probably just had a lot of lineups where it was like, okay, this lineup projects very similarly. I have you know, Cooks plus someone or Higgins plus someone $700 less. And I'm just getting a massive ownership discount on the Higgins side when the range of outcomes is the same. Brandon Cooks is great. T. Higgins is great. Um, 
I'll take the one that's, you know, getting a third of the ownership. And moving down the rest of the board here, Amon Ross St. Brown, we've talked about how much I love that already. Zach Ertz, mother effers. Stefan Diggs, 22%, double the field there. AJ Green, I loved that play too. I mean, there's really nothing I can say to your lineups. I love that you were a little bit under on Devontae Parker. I thought that that made a lot of sense in tournaments. He was obviously the cash guy, but, you know, there was no... No question, 21.3% being under there was probably a nice spot of leverage. If he doesn't get that touchdown pass, you're just surpassing a lot of the field, literally a third of the field. Um, so I, I liked that play. Gabriel Davis, pretty flat there, but nothing else that, that's like a, a crazy stand here by any means. But I love the 84% James Robinson. If there's a nice piece of chalk, just going way, way over on that. Uh, in terms of the builds go, you know, 36% being your next highest owned guy. There's nothing I can say. These are this is another good batch of lineups from you. It just didn't work out this week. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel about it. Cool. Then, if you tell me the Lions score 30 points in that game, I assume I made so much freaking money with my Cardinal stacks. Yeah, it's disturbing. But then you realize that Kyler Murray just like ghosted himself yesterday. Right. It was just yeah. But like, there's no way the Cardinals lose to the Lions. So if you tell me the Lions scored 30, the Cardinals scored like 48. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a Viking fan. I'm pretty aware that teams could lose to the Lions. That I was getting made fun of for the last two weeks, and it's been unfun. But what is going to be fun for everybody here is checking out some of our free content we have here. We have the Monday Night Football top plays, NBA player rankings, and NHL player rankings. Those are all free to you here today. And we've got some upcoming shows. I'm going to do this now before we go to the worst of the two uh, Millie maker lineups from the winner here. That's kind of our thing. Uh, but we've got the Osmo betting show that's starting up at 1 PM Eastern time. Aton Ben, check that out that every single week. That is really, really solid content. That is on the Osmo odds channel. Go give it a follow, go check it out. But Aton and Ben talking all things betting here for an hour, uh, starting up here. Uh, you want to go, go, go watch that for sure. NHL strategy show. I think got got axed because uh, the NHL is just in, the same thing the NBA might be looking at here, but Yahoo NFL show. I'll be on that now with Savoka here. I'm filling in at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So at noon doing that, we got 4 p.m. Eastern time NFL live before lock. So we have Lafayette and Savoka leading you guys up for that one because uh, we have a 2 p.m. slate. Well, 5 p.m. Eastern time slate uh, for the lock there. That's going to be fascinating for a two gamer. Now we've got the deeper dive. That's going to be uh, going to be Josh and Adam leading that one up here at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. NBA Live before lock, Greg and Terry uh, covering that for you, 6.30 to 7.30. And I will be on the uh, showdown live before lock for the evening game here with Neil Orfield, Millie Maker winner, Neil Orfield. Uh, just awesome to be checking that out. Okay, worst lineup that we've got, Ben Roethlisberger. So this is the other lineup of the Millie Maker winner. Ben Roethlisberger, Don, Deontay Foreman, Jeff Wilson, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox combination. That's fascinating. Devontae Adams and 49ers defense. I don't like this one as much as the one that won a million dollars, mainly because it didn't win a million dollars. Yeah, like I, I still think it's a fine lineup. I don't like it quite as much. Like, like I, I don't insist on having, you know, like secondary correlations like he did with Christian Kirk and, and, um, and St. Brown. But like if I were playing one or two lineups, that's something I would – like prefer to have. And I really liked that he had it in the winner. Doesn't have that here sort of has the negative correlation piece with Davis and Knox, which like they're both good plays. They're both cheap enough. I don't have an issue with playing them together, but it just kind of puts you in the position where like, you know, Josh Allen's going to be getting some ownership. If Knox and Davis both give you scores that are likely to help you win a tournament, you're contending with a lot of Josh Allen teams up there. So um, that makes it kind of tough. It's one of those where like, if I, if I saw this in, a 150 max 
like portfolio, I wouldn't really think twice about it. If you're only building two lineups and you actually clearly have the time to like think about what you're doing, I would have probably just used like any tight end other than Knox in that price range just yep. to avoid that. Um, but yeah, you know, you have the, you have the uh, Pittsburgh stack, which, you know, I, I wasn't on it, It's fine. Uh, whatever. Um, the Foreman Wilson piece, I think pretty clearly, you know, just kind of saying, okay, we're going to go into this very popular running back price range, but we're going to just use lower owned running backs. Uh, got to Devonte Adams, obviously wanted to be there. Um, had the Niners with Jeff Wilson. That makes some sense. I'm not huge on that particular, like I'm not a big running back plus defense guy, but I know that some people are, I know that, you know, it's, it's whatever. Um, it, it counts as correlation, I guess. So I think yeah. I hate the most, the, well, I'll just, you know, for, for what it's worth, how does Deontay Foreman reach an upside? Like 20 carries, 120 and a touch, right? Like legitimately that goes so counterintuitive to Roethlisberger, Claypool, Johnson. Like you'd legitimately need Foreman to be somebody that like busts off two 60 yarders and then Tennessee just doesn't have the ball and, and Pittsburgh throws it around. And I think that's a very specific specific game flow yeah i don't know i don't I, I don't worry about that particular thing much like because for one foreman was cheap so like yeah, really all you true. needed him to do all you needed him to do is beat james robinson and you're in a, a pretty good spot um but also like there's just so many i mean what if the titans what what if he scores two touchdowns in the first half and you know so the titans are up like let's say 21 to three at halftime and then you're just getting Rot, you know, a second half game from from the Steelers or you know whatever. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's just so many random ways a game can go where like it ends up working out. Um, I mean, like for example, like uh, the, the the Lions game. Obviously, the Kyler Murray piece didn't get there, but it wasn't for really a lack of opportunities. It was just the fact that they sucked. But like Reynolds on the other side had a good game. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Cardinals could have scored 35 fantasy points yesterday, and Reynolds could have had the exact same game that he had. That's fair. But Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox together. Can we can we at least bash that one? Can we do no? Just yeah, you know, I mean that's anything. like that's yeah. something that I actually couldn't have gotten. Like I don't, I, I'm fine. I used to not play two guys from the same team if I didn't have their quarterback or an opposing quarterback. Um, as we started doing these shows a couple of years ago, I realized I didn't like that rule anymore. Um, but I do still do. I don't want two pass catchers without either quarterback or opposing quarterback. Just because, like I said, you know, like I'm playing, I'm gonna be playing, you know, a bunch of different guys from different teams. Why not just? avoid the situation where uh i need the i need two of josh allen's receivers to do well without josh allen doing well all right well guys that is the week 15 review show uh it's not as fun when adam doesn't win 100k so win 100k adam yeah so let's let's do that get on your shit figure it out because uh it's way more fun to cover oh there's jordan klein why did his oh now he's got dark again what is it what's happening why does it get bright and then not? Well, whatever. Jordan Klein, this show doesn't happen without him clicking on all the buttons and doing such a lovely job. So thank you so much to him behind the virtual glass. Give him a like. Uh, hit that like button for Jordan Klein. I think that that's the right way to do things. Ship my money. Uh, DFS on the Twitter sphere. That's Adam Share. Thank you so much, my guy, for covering everything today. For sure. Um, and I'll have the NBA tournament video coming out in like an hour. NBA injury report with Greg after that. So great. Check out both of those pieces of content. Great additions here to the Osmo portfolio. He's Adam. He's awesome. I'm Eric. I'm okay. We'll see you.